Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today, we're going to be discussing the announced guidelines from the unions in the States for getting production up and running again. Yay. And then you're going to hear a snippet from my interview with Octavia Spencer. What a run she's had. I would say yay to that. Yeah, she's terrific. And, uh, you know, not just in movies where she actually has been connected either as an actress and or producer are both to four Best Picture nominees and winners in, in the last 10 years, which is just a remarkable run for anybody. And now has two dueling uh, television uh, projects that are both uh, Emmy eligible this year. And so I had fun talking to her. Oh, she's a powerhouse in the industry. But today, as Pete said, one thing we want to talk about is there is this thing still going on called the coronavirus pandemic, you might remember. And as a part of that, we're still seeing huge swaths of our industry are closed. But there are plans, as there always are. There are plans to open it up. There are plans that have been devised by a white paper submitted by the unions and the producers and the studios to both the governor of New York and the governor of California. There are plans coming from the, both the governor of New York and the governor of California to bring back production based on certain safeguards and protocols and what have you. Movie theaters may be opening soon. You might see studio audiences returning and all sorts of things. But it's all a big caveat because right now, in L.A. County, also Ventura County, but let's talk about L.A. County. L.A. County does not actually meet the criteria that is being developed here in the state of California for these reopenings. We simply have too many cases of of COVID-19 occurring, too many deaths, incredibly sadly, and hospitalizations and perhaps infection rates are rising, public health officials tell us. So we're looking at how this is going to happen. The fact of the matter is, though, even though people are saying, as we reported exclusively on Deadline earlier this week, that movie theaters are going to be opening at the end of this week, they're not. Right. And this is an interesting kind of question because although movie theaters are our church, churches are going through the same thing now here, too. And we're looking at the same thing. So they're separating families or groups that have been quarantined together in here. And that is what the uh, movie theater openings are supposedly going to follow. Uh, When you read the guidelines for a lot of this, as a consumer, I'm wondering if you're looking at it and going like, is it really going to be worth it for me to go through all of this? I'll just wait for the 4K, you know, uh, version and watch it on my TV. I've gotten used to that. That's the big fear in the industry, yeah. you know, not just movies, but in every way that we're going to get used to what we're seeing here, that stars are going to get used to just talking from their living rooms and um, and doing interviews that way. And And does that take the the fun out of it, the glamour out of it, the the live feeling out of it that you've always had with audiences and things, because it's going to be a long, I did a, a an interview for an upcoming Behind the Lens with James Corden, and he was very sanguine about when he would be able to come back in front of a live audience, sort of like talking about, this is in a, a land far, far away when I'll get to do it, but I will get to do it. And Nicole Kidman, and others that I've talked to, too, have the same thing. I think she told me it's probably going to be a very, very long time before I see you in person again. Somehow. Yes. I mean, I, I think that's one of the cases. You know, obviously, we just talked about how California is, is looking at, at beginning this protocol. But your things like you can only have 100 people in the cinema or 25% of, of its natural capacity, usual capacity, depending what is, is, is the lesser number. 
a lot of restrictions about how people can interact. I'm sure a lot of restrictions about going and getting food. I don't think you're yeah. grabbing a popcorn and a Coke and um, any, any uh, mints as quickly as you used to. But more importantly, I think, and yes, we're seeing the unions are negotiating, the studios and the producers are negotiating. This is part of a larger thing, as it often is in Hollywood. But I think one of the things that fundamentally are happening here, and you kind of talked about it, which is consumer choice has changed or shifted, at least. So as much as we miss the charisma, the, the excitement, the you, not, you don't know what could happen of doing a live panel or a live event or a live show or what have you, the reality is, is this is where we are. And I've been in the past couple of weeks venturing out a little bit more um, as restrictions in Los Angeles have, have, have eased a little bit. But what I've noticed is I have, and I did it myself, walked up to a supermarket and there was a long line of people, social distancing six feet apart. And I stood there and I went, yeah, I'm not lining up for a half an hour to go in there and buy some milk. I'm not lining up at the farmer's market just to get some fresh oranges and what have you. I'll figure that out somehow through Instacart or, or, or a produce delivery system or something like that. And that's a really big part of this. Are people going to want to, on a Friday night, when they're going out to see a movie, all of a sudden go through basically the equivalent of a, of a, a TSA um, uh, screening process just to get in there finally and see the movie? Who's even going to have the time to do all that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was watching a movie uh, last night uh, that I get because I'm in the press and a film critic. So we have heard. Yes, the studios are sending me things. And I watched Jon Stewart's new film, Irresistible, which is uh, I'm not allowed to talk about yet. But uh, is it Irresistible? It, it's, uh, it's a very, very interesting movie. And, ah. uh, and I love Jon Stewart. And so I can't review it <laughs> yet. But uh, it opens June 26th. Uh, at least on VOD, but I was thinking, sitting there watching it on my couch, and I, you know, am the biggest uh, supporter of the theatrical experience. I will go out of my way not to watch a screener. I will, I never look at the screeners they send during award season. If I can help it, I'll see it on the big screen always um, and urge people to do it. But I was sitting there going like, yeah, I could probably get used to this. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to get in my car, drive to Hollywood to the Arclight to uh, see a screening with a bunch of uh, mean critics uh, in attendance. And oh, uh, it's a very cruel to your peers. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And this is this is you know. I mean, we can we've talked about it before. The the phenomenon of trolls and how it did the Trolls World Tour and how it did on 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 VOD. You know, I think a lot of theaters when they open are looking to Christopher Nolan as the, as the, as the Godhead, he will save them with his new movie because he's insisted it will come out in the theaters. But my question comes back to what you said. And I talked to people who are in production as well. How comfortable are you walking into these environments? How, yeah. you know, I I'm at the phase now where, you know, I'll go to a park or an outside venue, keep six feet apart and stuff like that. We've heard a little bit more as we discover more about how coronavirus works, about it traveling in public places. You get me in a dark room where everything's closed and literally the doors are all shut to keep out light. I'm not too sure I feel very comfortable with that at all. And as soon, I know this, as soon as someone's sitting in a theater and somebody coughs, oh. and it might just be got like a bit of popcorn in their throat, you just watch people move towards the doors. Oh and my it's God, done. hold it in. A cough yeah. now. People are going to be so attuned to it. And I never paid attention before. Yeah, <laughs> it's... It's crazy. It's like a crazy uh, thing. You know, I want to uh, mention too, these award shows, live award shows. We've got the Emmys coming up on September 20th, the primetime Emmys. Well, 
and they're on trying to paper we have the to, Emmys coming up. Yeah, well, you know, it doesn't affect television. We're looking at we're looking at a different Emmys in terms of the content and in terms of the voters actually having seen uh, more than they've ever seen. I think we're going to see a different list of of nominees and perhaps- I think so too. I think so too. And I think I think also we're going to see I think based on 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 recent events we've also seen with the tragic death of George Floyd and and Black Lives Matter uh, protests and, and people talking about real reform in terms of our, our country and, and its racial, horrible racist racial relations, I think we're going to see some shows that perhaps uh, deal with those issues a bit more that usually are at the top end of the cable dial or on streaming and what have you are going to get a lot more attention this year. And some shows that are a staple of television going back to the beginning of television, cop shows, are going to change noticeably, uh, I think. You know, you're going to see content change in the bread and butter kind of uh, procedurals and those kinds of shows. They're going to be very conscious now of what they're putting out there as entertainment uh, on a uh, weekly uh, or streaming yeah. kind of basis. But, uh, you know, getting back to the Emmys a little bit here is how, however they present them virtually, or we go and present the uh, statues in, in the living rooms and things, it's interesting. As we're talking here today, on Thursday, uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Board of Governors are meeting on this very day. And we're hoping to get some uh, concrete information finally of what everybody has already known, that the Oscars are likely moving the date from February 28th later, later, as much as they can push it uh, to make it more of a semblance. But what I'm seeing too- And also some- not to crash right into the Super Bowl. And not, well, yes, which I wrote about before. And that, yeah, exactly. That, that, that is a date that could happen, uh, February uh, 20, uh, whatever the date was. Yeah, uh, February 28th. But seeing them move further away and and maybe change the tenor of the ceremony, no matter where they move, that, that it may be toned down, that it may turn into a charity event, that it may be because uh, people are looking at Hollywood now, and uh, my God, you know, somehow I wound up on a list of Donald Trump's campaign thing, and they send out this anti-Hollywood stuff, and it's really fascinating, but they're using Hollywood as a whipping boy, as usual, and the Oscars have to be very careful, the Emmys too, yeah. about what they're patting each other on the back for. Well, also and, and too, how- we have to, you know, we, we have to say, I mean, Hollywood is after Wall Street, virtually the largest donor base for the Democratic Party. People like Jeffrey yeah. Katzenberg, Steven Spielberg, J.J. Abrams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, Vice President Biden is going to be out here a lot once he can start traveling. And that's one of the reasons why some people think that the junior senator from California will be his vice presidential pick because of her ties to the Hollywood community um, for Senator Harris. But I do want to go back to one thing. You know, as you talk about those changes, I think that what you know we're seeing happening also in real time here is the changes that are the expectations of what it is to go on to a set, how yes. that's going to work. The, you know, bear, the white paper that was sent out by the industry-wide Labor Management Safety Committee Task Force to Governor Cuomo and to Governor Newsom had very specific recommendations. Up in Vancouver, they've recently now, which of course is Hollywood North and has ex, in excess of, I think, 35 shows and tons of movies being made up there. Um, they're now reopening, but it's very, very specific. And the giant caveat they have is the border's still closed. So in fact, most right. people who go up there, if you even have a work permit, you're still going to be in quarantine for 14 days, even if you can get across the border. There are so many roadblocks to this happening. The biggest one, I have to say, and it's the one you talked about, you talked about Nicole Kidman talking about it, and I've had people talk to me about this, is 
people just don't feel cool about going into these enclosed spaces with lots of people around them. There is so many people I've spoken to in the last couple of weeks who've been so supportive of the, of the protests and being out in the street and tens of thousands of people here in Hollywood and downtown and what have you. And so many of them are also so worried that we're going to see a second wave here of infections that are going to come from cops weren't wearing masks. A lot of people, some were, a lot were, and let's give them props, but a lot of people out in the street fighting for social justice were not fighting for health justice by not wearing masks. So with all this happening, every part of this is in flux, as you say. How is it going to change the scenes? I was talking to Allison Janney for an interview, uh, and uh, we were talking about the movie that she's in with Hugh Jackman, A Bad Education. Great movie, by the way. It's a great movie. Great movie. And, And there's a very funny scene I brought up. I said, so you have a scene where you take a sandwich and you stuff it into Hugh Jackman's mouth. Now, Imagine doing that. We should just tell you because his character is on a no carbs and basically no anything diet. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Imagine trying to do that scene now on a set. And they said, um, they said, what would happen is she would try to do that and he would bat her hand away and not let her happen. So they would do the scene, but do it in a different way. And CGI, um, baby, it's all yep. going to be CGI here. It's going to be, it's special I was effects. talking to someone in the VFX community and they, and, and they, they don't mean this in a greedy way, but they are seeing so much business right now because oh, so many things, sex scenes, intimacy scenes, even scenes like that, where just the proximity is such you're, you're going to, you're going to see it, you know, in, in, in some ways the porn industry might end up becoming somewhat of a leader in this and how they're going to show people how to do this. But VFX is definitely going to become the new norm going forward and not just for blockbusters. The porn industry is going to have to go to special visual effects and they may be actually up for the visual effects Oscar this year. We don't know, man. Big change is happening. Big change. (laughs) With that, let's talk about your interview with a big Oscar winner. Oh yeah, when we're talking Oscars and and, and those who have won and uh, been nominated, Octavia Spencer, what a run she's had, as I mentioned at the beginning um, in talking that we're gonna uh, play some of this interview. Uh, she of course won the Oscar for The Help and she was nominated for Hidden Figures and uh, also for The Shape of Water. And as a uh, executive producer, she shared in the glory of uh, Green Book as well. What a run. All of those movies nominated for Best Picture and even uh, one uh, in the case of uh, Shape of Water. And so I'm so happy to have uh, interviewed Octavia Spencer and we had a great time. So take a listen to this. You not only are producing, executive producing, but behind two different big TV projects right now. First, let's talk about um, self-made, uh, the story of C.J. Uh, Walker, Madam C.J. Walker, which is on Netflix now uh, that people can watch four-part series. How did you come upon this? Did you you obviously knew her, uh, knew of her uh, growing up? You knew about her, and is that right? Yes, my my mom uh, used Madam C.J. as a uh, what we call a standard bearer, you know, um, because we grew up with very, from very, very meager beginnings. And she was uh, that sort of beacon of hope. If she could achieve this during that time, you can achieve, you have so much more than she did. Um, and the sky's the limit on what you can achieve. So I, I knew her, she was a part of my upbringing. Yeah. Um, in playing her, what did you, what surprised you in, in playing this role? Ooh, I, what she had to endure as a woman of that time, 
she was quite progressive. She was born a hundred years before she, she would understand what her impact would mean. But she was born exactly the right at exactly the right time. Um, I I I don't have that sort of pushback. I mean, there's so much that we have to deal with as women in our society today. But uh, when she uh, was making her mark on the world, uh, she was uh, actually one of the first uh, children in her family to be born free. Her parents were slaves. Um, so having that also as a, 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 a barrier, a social barrier, and then limited education. She, you know, self-educated. She was truly a self-made woman. So combining all of that and trying not to have anachronisms in the performance, even though we were telling the story in a very modernized way, uh, it was it was challenging, definitely challenging. But it was fascinating to me what she had to put up with with men and that she was constantly, you know, under attack in that way, too, you know, which uh, could I, maybe they were jealous. I, I, I you know, I don't know. Uh, well, it was when you think about it, women were there to support their husbands and <laughs> did not have dreams of their own. And uh, she thought better about that and knew that um, she really took stock in being born a free person and uh, wanted to make her mark on the world and did. And of course, she also knew that she needed to be married uh, with the social mores of that time and the social construct. In order to be someone, you had to be someone's wife. Um, so it was very uh, interesting because she was Madam C.J. Walker, but her real name was Sarah Breedlove. <laughs> so there were so many, so many uh, facets uh, about who she was, uh, the the beginning, middle, and end at the end of her life, what she was contributing to society. I just found her very fascinating. So amazing. And then you know what? You jump into television again, or actually maybe before this one. I'm not sure of, uh, how they were shot, but uh, truth be told, mm -hmm. a fascinating premise. Not mm -hmm. just as a you know kind of crime drama, and we've seen a hundred million of those on television. But this is really also about journalism in mm -hmm. a very big way. I thought in looking at it, and the fact that it's it's true life crime, but through a podcast. Mm -hmm. And that is so right now. Anybody that has anything can get on and give their opinion and call themselves a journalist. And uh, that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crazy. And this 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 uh, show shows the responsibility that goes with this profession. I it definitely uh, uh, lends a, micro, uh, a magnifying glass to both uh, how we consume information and uh, how we disseminate it and uh, and really if it's done truthfully. Um, and right now, I think uh, in our society, uh, media, and journalism and the truth are, um, well, they're right now on trial. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's so true. I mean, you know, Fox News, anybody can go on there and say anything they want. I think uh, that's it's very, very dangerous, that kind of thing. And it's going on. Yeah, it's very dangerous. I, I just remember, remember being a child and uh, watching the news shows um, back then where they had to fact check 
everything. It had to be vetted before a story. I mean, you you know, everybody got it around the same time. The six o'clock news. It was on the six o'clock news on all of the stations: CBS, NBC, ABC, because those were the only uh, networks that we had. But it was also about about fact checking and being telling the truth and understanding the consequences of of what happens when we don't. And that's what I found very interesting about uh, uh, playing Poppy Parnell and Truth Be Told. Um, you know, that's up my alley, investigative uh, anything, because I, I, I'm a mystery buff, a, a true crime buff. And uh, so the fact that I got to put on my Columbo trench and go out there <laughs> some mysteries, it was, it was, uh, it was everything. Well, that was great, Pete. Really great. Now, listen, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Now, if you're listening, we totally appreciate it, but I hope you're also subscribing and you can get us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode of Pete and I. And of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com, and there's a lot of that this Emmy season. And of course, we have all the breaking news, business, TV, film, everything that's happening in our industry and around the world at Deadline.com too. So thank you for joining us. Talk to you soon.